is true. He who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, have kept my word, and have not defiled my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and know that I have loved you. Because you have kept my uh, command to persevere, I will also keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the, the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I come, am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have that no one may take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven, heaven from uh, my God, and I will write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I want to look at the city of Philadelphia for just, a, for just a moment, here's a map of that area of the world we see on the right side over here, Israel, and here's Italy, and this is all Greece. Well, the seven churches were over here in what is now Turkey, and uh, if you draw it up a little bit closer, when you look at these seven churches, it was written from the Isle of Patmos here, but they, in the order of which they were written were Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And so we're going to hang around on Philadelphia right there right now. Not that the map helps us too much. But I do want to talk about Philadelphia for just a, a minute. And it won't take more than a minute. It was founded in 140 B.C. by Italus II Philadelphus of Pergamus or Pergamum. It was a prosperous city on a major road from the east. Grape growing was uh, prosperous there. The hills surrounding the city, so I understand, were very fertile. It was a center of worship for the god Dionysius and also had temples to many other of the gods. Volcanic activity had caused hot springs in the vicinity. And this church is 28 miles southeast of Sardis and between Sardis and Laodicea. Earthquakes were common uh, and the city was destroyed in 17 A.D. along with Sardis and about uh, 10 other cities. So they, they had a problem. Caesar Tiberius had uh, helped them financially and maybe with uh, rebuilding help of some other ways. And so he was most generous to them. The church there was probably, I'm doing it again, the church there was probably small, but it was probably of good quality. Due to the, the activities of the, the earthquakes, many people left the city. I guess they didn't want to get crushed by the falling stuff in the building, falling buildings or whatever. And they, and they moved outside the city. And so the church there was probably small, but of good quality. It didn't have enemies inside the church, but it did have those from outside um, that would uh, try to uh, distort things as it always happens. So let's begin looking at, at the verses. Um, in verse 7, uh, I'm not going to read the whole verse there every time, but I will on this occasion. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, 
He who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. We see, and I've underlined a couple things on the PowerPoint, holy and true right there. We understand that everything that Jesus taught and everything that he told others to do, he lived it. He was the example that they were to follow. If he told them to honor the Sabbath day, he did it. He spent his Sabbath day at synagogues. If you look at Matthew chapter three, or 23, verses 1 through 3, I want you to think about what he says about the Pharisees and then how he lived, Jesus. Matthew 23, verse 1, Then Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do, but do not do according to their works. For they say and do not do. (coughs) Excuse me. They had a problem, the Pharisees did. They liked the authority, and they knew Scripture, and they could tell what people what to do, and it was the right thing to do. Jesus says, you do what they say, but don't do like them because they don't do what they're telling you to do. They're hypocrites. But we have a, a high priest in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 26, says we have such a high priest, uh, for such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens, that this high priest that we have is not like the one that the Jews had, that the one under the law of Moses, or the priests, because this high priest is holy. He's harmless. He is undefiled. He has not, uh, his uh, soul is secure because he has not sinned. He is separate from sinners. He will talk to sinners. He will try to convince those sinners to change the way they live and serve the Lord. And now he has become higher than the heavens. He is in heaven, sitting at the right hand of God on David's throne, above the heavens that we can see. So what we should understand that he is holy and he's true when he, Christ, makes a promise and the Father, about eternal life, that's what's going to happen to those who are faithful to him. He is faithful and true. He also, in, in there are some peculiarities in each one of these churches and what is written to them, some peculiarities in what is said that were particular to each of these churches. And there's, there's one here in this verse, in verse 7. It said, he who has... The key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. And this is language uh, that he who shuts and no one opens, and he who opens and no one shuts. This is language that was uh, taken from Isaiah chapter 22 and verse 22. It says, The key of the house of David I will lay on his shoulders, so he shall open and no one shall shut, and he shall shut and no one shall open. Now, that taken from Isaiah 22, 
was about Eliakim, who was going to take the place of the treasurer or steward, uh, Shebna. Shebna did not look out for the people. He looked out for his own self-interest instead of the interest of the people. And so, Sheb, uh, and so Eliakim was going to t- have the people's uh, interest at heart. And so G- uh, the Holy Jesus has taken these scriptures from Isaiah 22 and applied it to himself. He who <clears throat> has the key of David who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. He cares about us. And he's going to be looking out for us. We're not exactly told what he's going to open and what he's going to shut. But we, we just don't really know. We can um, speculate some. I do know that in Matthew 28, verse 18, Jesus said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So whatever actions that he takes will be for our benefit. In Revelation chapter 1, in verse 18, it says, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forever. <clears throat> Forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. We do know he has those keys. But what exactly he's saying, he opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens, I can't exactly tell you. But he has the keys of, of Hades and the keys of death. Hades is the, 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 the realm of those who are dead. And... Um, could be there are two realms inside that and then he has the key of death as well so in chapter three i know your works i know your works he's that that is said about all of these seven churches i know your works if you think about it that should really be a sobering thought to us that he knows what we do for the Lord or whether we're not doing for the Lord. And he knows individually what we do. That if we're serving him and trying to uh, turn others to the Lord, he knows those things. But he knows the same opposite as well if we're not doing that. But the church in, in Philadelphia... He says, I know your works. I know your works. He says, you have an open door. Now, and no one can shut. Philadelphia, this is one of those peculiarities to the church in Philadelphia. This open door, Philadelphia was built with the purpose in mind of spreading Hellenism to the East. Greek culture. That was the purpose of having it having been built in 140 B.C. And so Philadelphia, all kinds of people came through this. There was a major road from the east coming through there. And Philadelphia had an open-door policy. We just let, and we'll, when these people come, we'll teach them about the Greek heritage and the character of the Greek people. So that was what they're to do. But Jesus says of this church, you have an open door, and no one can shut it. Instead of teaching them Greek culture, Philadelphia had an open door not to spread the culture, but to spread the gospel. That they were, apparently they were busy doing that very thing. 
in Phil, it, it, there's a there's a few instances in in uh, scripture where we see this open door thing, and I want to look at, a, at four, three or four of those. In Second Corinthians chapter two, verse twelve, Paul writes: Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach the uh, gospel, the Christ gospel, and a door was opened to me by the Lord. We're taking up in the middle of a sentence, in the middle of a thought, but there was an open door that was presented to him by the Lord. In um, first, first Corinthians 16, verses 8 and 9, But I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a great and effective door has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. He's going to stay in Ephesus because there's work to be done here. It's presented itself to me. There are many who don't want to hear this. And we know what happened in Ephesus. He says, there's an open door here. There's a lot of people in the city of Ephesus that he could open, he could talk to. He was going to have some difficulties with it, but he said, "That's I'm going to do it anyway. There's an open door there. Acts chapter 14 and verse 27, Now when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. Paul is telling them, said, look at what we've done because of the open door that was presented to them. They opened the door to the Gentiles. That these people who were not being taught now are being taught. They should have been being taught anyway. People just didn't understand. In Colossians chapter 4 and verse 3. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains. We see that. We've read this about the open a door for the word. You, it, this is one thing that we should be doing. Because the door is not shut to us. The door is open for us to teach the gospel. We, we're allowed to do that in this country. And that's our job is to do that. That's one of the things that we're supposed to do. But Paul tells them, he said, pray for us. That doors will be open for us. That doors will continue to be opened. And so that's a prayer that we should pray. That when the opportunity arises for me to do something I'll take the responsibility and do it whatever my location might be that I will reach out to those who don't know the Lord because they need to know the Lord because what happens after this life is over for those who don't know the Lord is we'll see some about that in a little while I'll just stop there You have a little strength and have kept my word and have not denied my name. Financially and materially speaking, they probably didn't have much to offer. They're probably few in number, as I mentioned, many of the people moved out of the city because of the earthquakes. And they're probably few in number, and they were maybe not socially prominent. They have a little strength. Don't say they have great strength. They have a little strength. So it didn't keep them though from standing faithful and continuing to confess Jesus name 
which is something that we can all do. We can all help financially. We can all help those who are in need. And we can help with hospitality. Uh, just, you know what that is. Just doing that uh, at the least. And praying for opportunities for the gospel to be taught. That's the main thing. The synagogue of Satan is mentioned in verse 9. What happened in a synagogue on, on, on the Sabbath day? We, have, we know what Jesus did. He would go to the synagogue and on occasions he would, he would read, sit, stand up to read the scriptures. I think that's an interesting thought. And then sit down to, to talk about them and to study them. And if Jesus wasn't present, there would be a, uh, the, the, gen, the Jews would meet there. And the president of the assembly, I think they called him, he would read. And then he would discuss those scriptures and teach from those scriptures. And so that was where people gathered to, to learn about the Lord. But, you know, they're not going to learn about the Lord if, they're, if you make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews but are not, but lied. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet. And no that I have lived, I have loved you. So that synagogue of Satan would be a place of evil. Satan's all evil. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 9, 10, and 11, verses we all know very well, Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth. That every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And as I said, we are very familiar with these verses here. And I think of these, that when this life is over, when the judgment scene happens, those that have lived for the Lord are going to confess his name. They've confessed his name on the earth. Why would they not in heaven? They will confess his name. Every knee shall bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That whoever has breathed air is going to confess Jesus. Whether they slandered his name here on earth or not, at that point they will confess Jesus and confess that his people he loved. It's a, if people won't confess him now, it's going to be a rude awakening. It, and I suspect there'll be people just like the rich man of rich man and Lazarus story in, in Luke. That they're going to want relief. If just a drop of water on my tongue to because I'm in torment in this flame, he said. But every knee will confess him. 
And they're going to worship before the feet. And know that Jesus loved us. I always, when I, when I, when I don't always, but many times when I think of those verses that every tongue was going to confess him. If they didn't confess him on the earth, I think of this verse in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 31. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Terrifying thing. If you think about it and let it soak in what's going to happen to those who don't confess him, who don't live for him, and to fall into his hands, that he's going to do the punishment. And the punishment won't be for a day or a year because there won't be any time. It will be time without end. In verse 10, maybe I am going to read every verse and start over again. Because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. He says, Jesus says, I will keep you from the hour of trial. What does it mean to keep them? He's going to watch and guard over, watch over and guard. You know, we have a, a verse, 1 Corinthians ten thirteen, you know, that tells us we don't have to give in to every sin we, or any sin. We have an avenue of escape. That's a way to watch and guard. That this hour of trial uh, is coming. So why would it be that Jesus would uh, watch over and guard them? Why? Well, they've confessed his name, by the way. But um, what they did is to keep Christ's command to persevere. Because you have kept my command to persevere, I will also keep you from the hour of trial. It, when this hour of trial comes, when this time comes, he's going to help them through it. Keep them from losing their faith. Several of the Caesars demanded to be worshipped as gods. That they thought so much of themselves um, that they would consider themselves worthy of honor and glory such as the God of heaven would get. Would get. And so they demanded that. And what would these Jews and what would the church in Philadelphia do when that demand was made upon them? Well, they're not going to honor him as God, any Caesar. And so that's going to be an hour of trial. There, you know, there, there's going to be things that could happen to them because they would not bow the knee to him. So the test is coming, and that test is going to discover the character of those who are on the earth. And that sounds like all of us, all of them in Revelation, that that test was coming and they, and to find out the character of these people. And the church is going to, church, God, Jesus is going to watch over and guard, but they still have to show their character when this time of testing comes. Behold, I come quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. Don't be seduced into unfaithfulness. 
And that would be so easy to, ha- to let happen. That we can just not know what Scripture teaches. And that's the danger of not learning Scripture, not l- reading it, is you don't know when false teaching is taught if you don't know what the truth is. So learn what the truth is. Read Scripture. And then you won't be seduced into unfaithfulness. Hold fast. Keep a firm grip. Never getting weak. So that, as he says, that you may, that no one may take your crown, that, that victory wreath that they gave in the races and in the competitions, the sports competitions in Greece. They gave that uh, garland of victory. He says, be strong. Hold on so that no one can take that from you. And uh, I'm going to read a, a verse that's read very often. But it is true in Revelation 2.10. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death. I will give you the crown of life. Be faithful even if it costs you your life. That's what he's saying. So you're about to be tested. Ten days, it says in Revelation 2. The hour in Revelation chapter 3. So whatever specified time, whatever time it's going to be, you hold fast so that you don't lose your crown. So that Caesar, if he wants you to call him a god and worship him, that you won't get weak and do that. Hold on. Hold on to what you have so that you can receive the crown. Revelation chapter 3, verse 12 he who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. And he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God and the, na- uh, the name, uh, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God. And I will write on him my new name. There will be no time after this earth is, is destroyed. So we are permanently going to be blessed to be in the presence of God. Inseparable from God in his kingdom. What a blessing. There's no threats in this kingdom. We will obey the Lord and we will be most graciously rewarded. The name, the new name, the people of Philadelphia would appreciate this reference because on two occasions, the city had received a new name. I think that's pretty cool, the way this was done. They had received a new name. They were called Neo-Caesarea as a sign of gratitude when Tiberius helped them rebuild the city. And at another time, for whatever reason, they were, the city was called Flavia, after the family name of the Emperor Vespasian. I don't know why. I, I, I quit reading when I saw that. that. That's enough. But they received a new name. And so 
the, the name Philadelphia, though, just kept hanging on. That was really what the, name, the city was called, Philadelphia. It may have been Neo-Caesarea for a little while, Flavia for a little while. But they would have understand the significance of having, being a new, having a new name. And that new name would have been the Lord's. But the church of the Lord in uh, Philadelphia had not left their first love like Ephesus did. They did not hold to false doctrines of any man. They did not allow a prophetess like Jezebel to teach and seduce them. And they were not a lukewarm church, as, as Mark's going to talk about in a little while, and I, that's all I'm going to say about that. This church in Philadelphia did not have false teachers among them. I'm sure there was some controversy from, from some people um, in, like it is in every church that something just not right might spring up if they put it out. They held fast the Lord's name. They did not deny the faith. They had loyalty to God in love and service and faith and in patience. Not one thing is negatively stated about the church in Philadelphia. They're not... Having, there's no threat there at this point for them to lose their candlestick. The Lord's blessed them because they were staunch defenders of the faith. That's what we need to be. We need to do the same thing. In um, Revelation, I want us to look in Revelation 21. Now I saw a new, verse 1, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. You should think about that. I heard a voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God forever and evermore, eternity to eternity after this life is over. Those who serve the Lord will be in his presence. And he will be with them and he will be their God. There will be no more death, no sorrow, no crying, no pain. For those former things have passed away. It's all gone. Wouldn't that be nice? Seeing things as they are now in this life. That none of those things, death, sorrow, crying, or pain, will, will be around in heaven. No, no, those times are over. When this is destroyed, those times are over. And there will be no sea. You ever just looked at the ocean? And the waves coming in and the waters rolling and, and all that kind of stuff. And you know 
that it's always busy. There's no peace in the ocean. Think about it. It's never just it's never just smooth as glass. What you also see in the in the sea, and know about the sea in particular, is it's you can die in that place. Be no more death. There'll be no sea in heaven because there'll be no danger in heaven. And it's quite different from here. Where there is pain and sorrow and crying and death and the sea. But not in heaven. Everyone that's here is a child of God except for the little children. And if you need a pr- the prayers of the saints uh, for some reason, why don't you come while we stand and while we sing number 273.